welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Did I ever tell you that? Welcome the... back. Sorry. <laughs> I was, I think you know this, but I was in a commercial when I was five. Yeah, an orange juice commercial, right? Can... What was no, it? no, no. It was a boar's, oh, boar's head, head meat right. commercial. Boar's head, that's a, sorry. It was a sorry, boar's sorry. head meat commercial. Yeah. And the, the commercial was, it was like the Welcome Back Cotter theme song and then me like biting into a ham sandwich on, a, on like a stupid Brooklyn. <laughs> welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. <laughs> Everybody, welcome back to Beats, Rye, and Types, a podcast about music, food, and programming. <laughs> That's your new thing. <laughs> I like it. Sorry, keep going. What? Well, actually, I should say it's your favorite yeah. and your only your podcast. Your about favorite music. podcast about. I like that one. Your favorite <laughs> podcast about music, food, and programming. You were just listening to a track by this uh, artist, Remember. And then the title is something in Japanese and Skyline. I actually Googled, translated it, and it says it's Nissan Skyline, uh-huh. like the car brand. So maybe it's about the car. But it's a really interesting group on this uh, label Dream Catalog that publishes through Bandcamp that I found through following a list of like Bandcamp recommendations to this artist. And it's really cool ambient electronic music and it's been awesome over the past couple weeks it's really good music to listen to on planes which i've been on in the past week and also just like working it's one of those awesome really super deep atmospheric things that just really fun to work to anyway how are you doing mrb i'm well thank you for asking summer is waning leaves are changing color on some of the trees outside of my my office window so that's that's pleasant you were just doing some traveling, um, but I've actually been home for a couple weeks for the first time in a while, so that's been nice. Yeah, that's about it. We're going to talk about food today. Yeah, we realized that it's been a couple episodes. We've had a couple awesome guests recently, which has been really fun. When I was in, I was actually just in Barcelona for this conference for Full Stack Fest, which was super fun. And one, I ate really well. That was awesome. Barcelona is a great food city. But also I uh, met a bunch of people at the conference who really said that they loved the podcast and were faithful listeners and that that really super made my day. And the thing that probably made my day more than anything was they were like, you know, I try to listen to your podcast when I do things like working out or hanging out, but I can't because it makes me too hungry listening to it. So I can't actually listen to it. So that reminded me that we haven't done a, a good food episode in a little while, so maybe we should do that again. Yes, shout out to everyone who said hi to Aaron. Shout out to uh, Anton, who sent me a nice email about how he loves the podcast. We'd love to get feedback from listeners. We love when you write us emails telling us how awesome we are. <laughs> it really strokes our, our extremely large existing egos. and yeah. uh, Well, I mean, come on, it's like ego maintenance. I'm going to like give up the ego at this point. It's there. <laughs> I want to be good to it. So, 
<laughs> no, it, it really encourages us to uh, take time uh, and produce with care uh, your, your between 25 and 45 minutes of uh, podcast audio each week. So yeah, uh, we are grooming ourselves to be media conglomerate czars of. We're just uh, waiting for the check so that we can sell out. That's all. Yeah. We're we're just waiting. Yeah. We're exactly. so the second if you have the check, we're willing to cut this short. So if you <laughs> have the check, if you want to pay, basically if you want to pay us to shut up, we'll do that. If, if we're definitely what, what would we're... would do that. <laughs> definitely do that. So you're, uh, you had a good idea for a food show, which was the best thing I ever ate. Of yep. course, I want to get all like philosophical about it right away, but I won't. <laughs> what did you have a th- did you have a dish in mind? There, in my mind, there are like a couple different things because I can't. It's really hard to be like, okay, this is the best thing I ate, even like this week or this month or year. For me, it's like I like to divide things into like the highbrow things and the lowbrow things and the middle of the road things. Like, there's definitely like the best fast food or best, you know, cheap eats that I've ever had versus like the best beautifully plated dish at a restaurant. I think those are like two completely separate things to me and they do different things to my brain, I would say. What about you? I was thinking more in terms of how impacted the best thing you ever ate is by the like experience, like who you're with and where you are and that, which has overlap with how you disambiguated uh, the best thing, the best thing you ever ate, but is kind of a different angle. Like, so in other words, uh, the food is but one player in the, in the film of the best thing you ever ate. Yeah. Where, you know, there's a set, there's a setting and then there's other people in it and the interaction between all of those things. I think that's what drives food memories I mean, which makes sense because it's it's like a lot of times it would be like the first time that you had really good pho or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, and that that's more like that's probably something you like went out of your way to do unless like you did it accidentally. And then if you and then even then that could be kind of a cool story. Yeah, I could definitely think I think thinking in terms of highbrow so-called or, you know, expensive and cheap uh, and moderately <laughs> priced uh, could be a good way of could could be a good way of approaching it I mean in terms of like the expensive stuff there's some really cool actually now that you're saying like the people you were with I think when you and I and our our significant others went shout out to Maya and Kat we went to 11 Madison Park together the whole that whole meal like played on food memories like the whole thing was basically like a a very intricate play on from a lot of different angles of anyone who's ever like lived in or grew up or eaten a lot in New York of all the, you know, famous food memories that you might have from being a New Yorker. And it was the whole meal was focused around that, but like went on every angle. And there was like, I think one of the first desserts was, you know, this malted milk, you know, egg cream. And it was like, that I, you know, in that moment, there was like that rush of one. I think I was pretty inebriated by then. <laughs> it, was, it was good. You know, when I was feeling so good, we were like dressed up. We had all this amazing food. And then they hit you with this thing. And it was like, I'm sure 
it's different for everybody, but for the egg cream, exactly reminded me of my grandfather who like worked in delis and you know fed me those when I visited his deli was when when I was a kid. Even though I like I don't think I even loved it when I was a kid, but like the you bets like chocolate syrup thing that that even just like the look of the label and the smell like it's like this odd like this thing where it just like hit some kind of weird synapse in my brain and i was just like oh man i'm almost about to cry because this is just like exactly reminds me of my grandfather but it was in such an unexpected place because we're like dressed up this fancy thing eating this extremely elegant meal and here's like one of the most humble desserts you could possibly have you know basically just like seltzer milk and uh like a you bet syrup from a jar though i think they made their own syrup but they put it in a jar to make it look like uh like an old-fashioned uh egg cream and so that that definitely like i don't know totally blew my mind yeah i mean that was amazing i mean it was uh we were kind of like the target audience for that (laughs) uh, part of the meal because it was all these like New York food memory things. And my dad loves egg cream. So that was definitely the association that I made when they served that to us. And there were black and white cookies and all this other stuff. When I went to Blue Hill at Stone Barns, um, I went with my wife and that was, that was one of like the best things I ever ate. They had like, there were a lot of very memorable courses, but one of them was spinach. Uh, and they served us these various spinaches in these various different ways. And when they served us the spinach, uh, there was this moment where I realized uh, deeply choreographed, like everything was uh, to make it possible for them to like serve us that food in the way that they served it to us. And like, there was just something about how, so in, in the main dining room of Blue Hill at Stone Barns, it's really a beautiful room. It's not that big, but a noticeable aspect of it is that around the edge of the room, the banquettes that are like the main seating in the room are set in from the wall like a foot. They don't go right up against the wall. And the reason why is so that servers can come like from behind you and serve you things like at, in that synchronized way. So they have this thing where and so the, and, and it also makes it possible for like service and like stuff to happen around the perimeter of the room without you seeing it because everyone faces the center of the room and this stuff is kind of happening behind them. So when they come out to deliver a course to you, One person comes out first, you know, kind of explains what you're about to be served and they bring out these like specimens of these various spinaches and explain that we went there for our uh, wedding anniversary dinner and they're explaining that it's October and this spinach isn't around anymore. This spinach is like this for a very short period of time. And then they come and like put the plates like in front of you, like from behind. Everything is kind of like laid out in this perfect way. And in that moment, I realized like, you know, this is the product of so many like very deliberate decisions that uh, culminated in this dish, making it like to our table, choosing to grow the specific kind of spinach and meticulously every day looking at the state of various spinaches and determining like how and when to, to serve it and, <laughs> uh, and then come writing and performing and the service and the, everything has to like be perfect for that to work. That was a really cool moment because it was very, uh, I felt very privileged to participate in it. It felt like high art. Like I was dressed up. I was dressed. I was dressed up. Like it, it was like I was in a, it was like I was at, 
you know, the opera with like the, the fancy people in society or whatever, you know, it was like this moment where all that kind of like modernist notion of like things being kind of aesthetically perfect and in that, in the, in that specific way kind of lined up. And that was a very, like that resonated with me, uh, in that moment. I don't think that I would ever have that realization again, you know, like I don't, I don't prefer so much ceremony really at all, but they really nailed it. Um, so that was a, that was a big moment for me. There's definitely something to be said for like that high art of service that, you know, is kind of unique and also like hard to find, you know, probably globally, but especially I think in the States, like pretty much a handful, like you can count them on, on two hands, like how many restaurants in America, like you can get that level of completely choreographed service to the point where like, it, it is like a watching a, a ballet or an opera or something like that. You know, and definitely all the Madison Park and all the Danny Meyer restaurants definitely are like in that same vein too. Where I think we talked about this sort of was the first the first like meal like that I ever had actually was at the Modern in New York at the at the Museum of Modern Art, which is also like an amazing restaurant. And it's changed hands a couple of times or the in terms of uh, the chef, but it's always been really consistent and awesome. And it's like definitely one of the most beautiful dining rooms in America. It's you know faces the sculpture garden of the Mo of MoMA, and it's super high, and you're sitting in these giant white booth and just like <laughs> my wife will probably kill me for telling the story but the first time we went there we it was it, it's not like a full tasting menu you get like four or five courses this is probably like eight or nine years or almost 10 years ago now and she had an asparagus soup as one of her the earlier courses this beautiful it was delicious but it, because i got to taste it but one of these beautiful like bright green asparagus and pea and spring soups we were there in the spring obviously and like was in this wide bowl and was just like so bright green i remember vividly and then she like turned to me and laughed and boop like knocked the entire bowl of asparagus soup all over the table like this like it's not like water or something and you spill it and it's just wet it was like bright green asparagus soup went flying in the air and like all over the table and usually it's my job to be klutzy like that but somehow she uh she did it in that instance it was one of the most incredible things i've ever seen like one of the um, like captains of the of the staff saw what happened, and he like made like a very quiet whistle and like a like a twirling his finger like and caught like five people's attentions. And within thirty seconds, the tablecloth had been changed out, all our dishes had been rearranged, and it was like nothing had happened. And I was like, oh my god, that's so awesome! <laughs> like that level of dedication to you know having everything straight it's not like it sounds you know a little like fussy and anal retentive and it probably is but it's also just like you know you're there you're having this experience like the fact that someone's like pushing that hard to make sure that your experience is good is is a pretty awesome thing and pretty rare i would say yeah i mean you know the of course the downside is that you know, it makes a lot of people kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's just kind of weird. And all of the best meals that I've had uh, have relied on some kind of interaction between me and the, like, the establishment that I'm eating at or whatever that... I'm just trying... What I'm trying to say is that it has to be a certain kind of attitude that accompanies that kind of, like, high, high art stuff um otherwise it's just kind of shitty 
by that. What about you? What else? What else was on your mind? I was just thinking about the first time I went to um, Paris with my wife, who was just my girlfriend at the time, and we. Um, that was like probably the first trip I ever made. I I I'd always like you know liked food, but that was the first trip as an adult by myself internationally where I was like, okay, I'm basically traveling for food, make reservations at all these restaurants and do some awesome eating. And like, uh, we're both like really love macarons, like French, French macarons. And I had like looked up this list of all the best macaron places, like did all these, like tried, use my very rudimentary ability to read French to find like these French websites where they listed out these best places. And then we just like went on a mad dash around the city eating these macarons. And we like, I, I remember some specific ones, but it was just like that thrill of like, okay, we found this little shop in this corner of this arrondissement in, in Paris and like, okay, they this is supposed to be the best one. And we like got, get a little box and, you know, you're supposed to, like, get a box and, like, take them home and, like, have them for dessert. We would just, like, take a box and, like, camp out, like, on a bench as close as possible and just scarf down, like, six macarons and be like, okay, mm, was that the best one? Yeah, I think that might have been the best one. <laughs> and then move on to the next one. And it was just, like, and then we would have, you know, we would book dinners and lunches and stuff like that, too. And actually, you were saying, like, finding a bowl of pho. I had had pho before, but we had found, we'd heard, you know, about, I think the 13th arrondissement in Paris is like home to a very large Vietnamese population, which kind of makes sense since Vietnam um, was a French colony for a long time. And so there was this one place that I had read about that was supposed to be the most popular and have the best pho in the city. And we get there and it was like, there was no organization or system for how you sit down. There was just like a crowd of 70 people at least just standing outside of this little corner shop on this little alleyway in the middle of Paris. Like, and there were just like so many people standing outside and we're like, Oh God, we're not going to be able to do this. We're not going to be able to do this. The proprietor of the restaurant came out and I guess the way it works is they, we kind of figured it out in the moment that they're just like shouting out how many people they have space space for and so she was like dude 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 and i was like oh that's us like we're two people and we just like <laughs> broke through to the front because i guess there were groups of four or whatever or, like people were all in bigger groups and broke through and got to the front and sat at this like shared table with like seven other people and had fun and um it was just so good it was like rich and um just really subtle flavors and the noodles were so good and i was like Oh, it was also like, I think when we went, it was late September, so it was a little cold, so it was like the perfect food, and I was like, oh man, this is just kind of magical. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds really, that sounds really good. I, uh, I remember uh, tacos that I had in Chicago, and they happened at an interesting, th this is like a good intersection of like a really, really good food and a really good experience, which was that uh, we were on tour uh, in a band that I was playing in at the time and uh, we played a show in Chicago and and then went out and had some drinks afterwards and then we were like well we want to eat we like food where should we eat and he's like oh well let's go get these tacos the only problem is it's in kind of a sketchy neighborhood so we're gonna have to like kind of take turns watching the van because the van was like loaded full of all of our <laughs> gear and had like shit on the top like had shit strapped to the top and it was like very obviously like full of gear 
And so we went into this spot. I don't have any recollection where it is or what the name of it was. I should pro- I could probably figure it out. Um, <laughs> uh, and we went and it was a uh, taco place that had like all different cuts of meat, eyeball tacos, brain tacos, liver tacos, just everything, all kinds of different stuff. And that was the first time that I had experienced that like in like close up. Uh, and so we got like all these mixed tacos and eating tacos was punctuated by like running out to the van so that like someone else could run back in and like have a taco. And like, we were like peeking our head out the window the whole time, like hoping that no one would steal our shit. And then we're laughing at ourselves about like, what would we do if someone did try to like steal our shit? We'd probably just scream, try to yell at them and whatever. And, uh, so that was, uh, that was a particularly memorable, um, occasion of eating tacos yeah was that was that with double leopards or with religious knives uh yeah it uh i don't remember actually i think it was double leopards yeah i think it was double leopards and i think our friend mark solotrov helped us find tacos um but i could be wrong about that (laughs) the first time i went to san francisco with as an adult too which was I went with my brother for a little bit too, and we were going up to visit actually Avi, who was on the on the show last time. He was living in Mendocino at the time, and we stopped in San Francisco on our way up, and we like just drove directly from the airport to the mission and had ate like a burrito and like four different tacos like within an hour, and just had this amazing time. And then on the way back, we were we met up with one of my friends who had been living out there, this woman Nicole. And she took us, I actually don't know where it was, but it was like my first time going to El Farolito, but it was like an El Farolito in the middle of nowhere, like not in the city. It was north of the city. And we had, I, that was like my first time having lengua tacos and, um, which is tongue for, for those of you who don't speak Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) Hold up. Because I'm obviously clearly I'm an expert in Spanish. It was, but they were so good. Because it was, it was also one of those weird intersections too, where I grew up actually eating beef tongue all the time, but like Jewish beef tongue, you know, like boiled pastrami beef tongue, basically, or corn corn beef tongue, and like this is like a whole different thing. And I was like, oh crap, this is really really good. I, another one I remember. Another one I remember is moving to moving to Red Hook in two thousand. We, my and I, moved to a loft in Red Hook in Brooklyn in two thousand and at the end of two thousand two. And um, across the street from the loft that we lived was a like a really greasy looking sandwich shop um, called Defante's, <laughs> which we talked about before too. Which we've talked about before, <laughs> and uh, I we could literally see it from our window. One day, I peeked my head in there. Uh, I was walking by on my way to the train or something, and I peeked my head in, and I was like, oh, shit, I definitely have to eat here. This place looks amazing. It was like right after we had just moved in. And I walked in, and they had a really old-school Brooklyn like uh, breakfast stuff, like peppers and eggs and potatoes and eggs and all this stuff uh, that my grandma used to eat and feed us all the time when I was a kid. And I got a hero with a potato and egg hero, which is basically a potato and egg omelet, like a giant omelet <laughs> yeah. on a hero so roll dense. with cheese. <laughs> yeah. 
and you know put some pepper on it and like took a bite and i was like it was i was like oh my god first of all it was <laughs> it was like five five deli sandwiches worth like you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. like an egg sandwich with cheese on a roll there's like five of those in this hero <laughs> so i was like first of all definitely not going to finish this whole thing but it was so awesome and it was such an old school place uh and then uh, so eating that first hero was an awesome experience for me because, you know, it connected me to my grandma and stuff. And I was like standing there in Brooklyn eating it. It made me feel really good. <laughs> and then I kind of learned the mechanics of the place a little bit, which is that mostly people ate, like park their truck in front, run at, run in, grab a sandwich, eat it in the cab and like before you drive away and then drive away. Like that's what a lot of people were doing because these sandwiches were huge and if you got like a meatball sandwich, they put like so much sauce and stuff on it that the sandwich would essentially it would hold up. Yeah. yeah. So that my first Defante's was a big deal for me too. Yeah, I was thinking I I not the first time I went to Defante's, but the first time I had their Sinatra special, which is like the pizzaola or whatever on the which is like braised beef on a on in red sauce on the hero. Uh, oh man, like that. Also, like our favorite, which we talked about before, like the firehouse, which is, you know, with the roast pork. But I was like, I was so blown away. I was like, holy crap. Like, this is a real hero. Like, this is like <laughs> everything. This is it definitely everything about it is is the like quintessential epitome of what a what a real Italian sub is supposed to be like. And that's just like, oh, man, I, I'm. I'm getting myself hungry now, even though I yeah, I'm starving that. too. <laughs> I was just thinking too about like you know some other good traveling stuff, like the the other connection. Not that long ago, I went to I was in London hanging out, and uh, a friend Martin was like, "Oh, if you're in London on Sunday, you should go check out the Brick Lane." market because on sunday in brick lane like they turn the whole street into a it's like this weird mix of thrift store vintage stuff and then just like food and not just like english food like all sorts of asian and indian and malaysian and uh like north african stuff too like just like little food stalls everywhere and you just like kind of walk up and down the street and check out vintage clothes and then eat a bunch of snacks and it was like the most perfect like beautiful Sunday afternoon in the middle of uh, spring and I was like walking up and down by myself and then I kind of had known about this but I didn't realize it was right there there's at the end of Brick Lane there are these two shops next to each other that are like the Brick Lane bagel shops and they spell first of all they spell bagel I think like B-A-I-G-E-L or something like that it's something something crazy it's not like as a Brooklynite I'm like what the hell is this crap but what, <laughs> what but a brick brick lane bagel is basically like this crazy corn beef like steamed beef that they put on this like very bland but squishy chewy white bagel and like that's like the sandwich that you get like this thick slice they call it like i mean it's clearly connected to the jewish population of london and clearly like a direct bridge to like you know new york deli pastrami but it is also feels like very distant and far removed like the first time i had that i was like wow this is really weird that i'm eating this like in this like what was at least like a predominantly like indian and pakistani neighborhood this like jewish 
clearly linked Jewish sandwich. One, it's also delicious. So I highly recommend if you're ever there to get one of those. Um, but it, it was like one of those things was like, oh yeah, this is, we're all connected, you know, like wherever there, wherever there's Jews, there was a corned beef basically. Um, and that's, that's, that's a good thing to remember. <laughs> yeah. I'm having other tour food memories now too. Did I ever tell you, was I talking on the podcast about when we went to the South of France? Did we, did we talk about all that or on here or no? I don't remember. You've definitely told me about it, but... Uh, I was telling maybe some work people about it recently. Um, but anyway, we played a show in Marseille, and we stayed at this, like, punk house, like, where this guy basically, like, kind of squats on part of the land and, like, part of the property and, like, lets other people live there. And we got there, and it was a crazy situation um, because there was, like, a another big show in town. We were actually playing at and staying at the same house, and we got there, and things looked really bleak, and it was a really weird night. Uh, there was a fist fight. Um, there was DJing and a fist fight, and we played a show, and it was pretty good, and there was a decent amount of, like, cider and beer and red wine and hashish involved, but then the next morning... <laughs> We woke up and the host was like, do you want to stay for breakfast? And we were, and I think we were like maybe six people. And at the time, because uh, there were a couple other people on tour with us and a couple of us were like, no, let's get the fuck out of here. And a couple of us were like, no, well, whatever, why not? So we are sort of, sort of like packing up and getting ready to leave. He puts out on the table like, the spread of uh, like bread and cheese and like cut up fruit and vegetables and like starts making all these like coffees and putting them out. And it was this amazing juxtaposition because this guy was like such a, you know, nonconformist societal outsider um, kind of dude. Then like making us this like immaculate south of france breakfast spread uh that's composed of humble stuff yeah yeah but it but you know it was like walnut raisin bread walnut raisin bread with like blue cheese and like all this like stuff and the coffee was really good and he's like actually it's market day so do you guys want to come to the market with me and before and grab some stuff on your way out and after we saw his breakfast spread <laughs> we were like, hell yeah, like, we definitely need to do that. So we followed him to the market and that's a whole other story. Like it was incredible because he knew everyone. At, he knew like all of these purveyors by name and was like kissing everyone on the cheek. And we ended up buying some honey that Maya then later baked into like a honey pine nut tart from the Gina De Palma book, which was the like one of the other best things I ever ate. It actually like... There's this recipe in this book that's like a, it's a honey pine nut tart. And this is my favorite. Gina De Palma was the dessert pastry chef at Babo. And she does a bunch of stuff with Mario Batali's like empire. She has these very Italian uh, recipes for dessert and they involve a lot of like nut flour and they're very regional. And so there's this crust that has like, I think almond flour in it and whatever butter. And then there's all this honey uh, that you make into some kind of like Thing, and then you put pine nuts on top and bake it as a tart and it was like a 12 inch tart and we brought it to a barbecue and Maya made it 100% with this honey from the mountains in Marseille and it's like the most 
flavorful honey. It's like <laughs> if you've never had it, it's just crazy because it has so much flavor in it. And people were slicing these super, super thin triangles of the tart for like their serving. And even that was like too intense for most people <laughs> to eat. It was just knocking everybody out at this party. It was just so incredible because there was just like, I don't know, it was just this thing. It was like so, so pure in the bottle. But so we followed him to the market and then got another like best thing I ever ate out of it, which was that, that tart, which ruled. That's awesome. That reminds me of before, before college, I actually took a year off and went to Israel for the year and uh as part of this program and i was kind of a rebel on that program uh in that i like didn't really want to follow like the rules of the program and i kept going out to like places we weren't supposed to go and do all these things which is which was me being an 18 year old fucking idiot basically because <laughs> anyway i had some really amazing experiences out of it so thank thank goodness it all worked out but uh one of the things I did was me, myself, and and two or three of my friends decided that we were going to do this sea-to-sea hike, which is like um, you hike from the Mediterranean to the Sea of Galilee or, uh, or, or the other way around. And we were going to do it from the Sea of Galilee to the Mediterranean, but we didn't um, – we didn't book any places to like stay. We were just like, well, we'll just camp out in the woods. But the first night we got to this small town right outside of the Sea of Galilee. And we were supposed to like, we were going to like, oh, we'll just like find a place to stay or camp for the night. We get there and like the idiots that we are, of course, the hostel is like fully booked and there are no other hotels in town. And we're just like, oh, well, we'll just like camp in the, we'll just like camp in the park. We'll like set up tents in like the public park and just like camp there for the night and then and then start hiking. But we like barely brought any food with us. We were just idiots, basically, is what I'm trying to say. But this wonderful person saw us at the hostel, and he was a um, a Druzy, uh, a, a, someone from the the Druzy people who live in uh, who live in that area in Pikain. Druzies are really interesting. Because they're Muslim, but they follow like a very different. They're a very different sect of, of Islam, and they have like a lot of very specific rules around hospitality and stuff like that. And so he was really adamant that we had to. He had to like take care of us. Like we weren't allowed to just like go on our way. He had to take care of us. And we we're like, okay, okay. That you know, we were like, kind of like not sketched out, but we're like, okay, well, you know, I don't think we'll stay. We don't want to impose. We don't want to stay with you, but we'll definitely like, if you want to show us around town and take us out to dinner, that's fine. And so then he took us in his like tiny four of us in this like tiny crappy sedan and started driving around town. And he stopped in every shop and every shop he was someone's cousin, like, and he knew everyone in town. And so he stopped in like the butcher shop and he was like okay here just take these like cured meats for your journey and it was like this amazing these like amazing salamis and like like not pork but like beef like dried beef jerky type things they were like oh wow that's amazing then he took us to like the nut shop and he was like okay just take all these walnuts and take these like like bags of nuts we're like okay well how much do we owe you he's like no 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 it's it's on me and then and then he took us to his cousin who was like the baker and he was like here have this gigantic tray of of all these different amazing uh baklava and like 
like other walnut phyllo bread. We're like, oh, okay, this is getting ridiculous. And then he was like, okay, we'll just come home and have dinner at my family's house. And he came home and had dinner and his mother was just sitting there like hand rolling pitas and baking pitas and za'atar bread. And then he was like, you're just going to stay here for the night. And at that point we're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they made this like really humble meal. It was just basically like baba ganoush and a bunch of other like dips and spreads but then this amazing like homemade za'atar and and other bread and it was just like it it, it, it's one of those things that always reminds me to like this these strangers might there might be something behind the stranger and there might be something like worthwhile and it's never never like just always be open to like new experiences like that because that was like definitely the next day he set us off on this trip packed with goods and he like refused to take any money for it refused to do anything it was just like completely because he just felt it was his his duty to like take care of us and really wanted to and it was like i'll never forget that and it was like one of these amazing things and the food was amazing too and we ended up eating all this bread and baklava we actually like were carrying backpacks and we had this like box of baklava like like 12 inch by 16 inch box of baklava that we were carrying on our hiking trip just because it was like it's too good we can't not take this with us um and yeah that was just one of those amazing things that only happens when you're like okay, let's just do this kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. I think most of the best things I ever ate uh, were a product of being open to things that I wouldn't normally have just done. I've, it were a product of trusting someone or taking a chance on something. And uh, I think that that's a good lesson to learn. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. We have made some progress in our in our media conglomerate uh, worldwide takeover plans. We have a bank account um, and a debit card. Yep. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go to a bank and like sign some papers. Um, we also and, have a, we also have a Facebook page now. So. We have a Facebook Facebook.com/slash/beatsrighttypes. Yep. Twitter.com/slash/beatsrighttypes. BeatsRightTypes.com. So you should like us on Facebook. Tell your moms to like us on Facebook. Tell your aunt Margaret like us on Facebook because you know that's we're social media experts and we know that that's that's how that's how we're gonna grow. Yeah, let's do. A, we should have a growth hack contest <laughs> where growth hack, <laughs> a growth hackathon. Well, let's have a growth hackathon amongst our existing listeners where. Um, if you can demonstrably get, uh, I don't know, how should we ha- how should we formulate this contest? <laughs> we should probably you tell people to tell people to follow us on Twitter, and then prove it, and I'll send you uh, a nice note. <laughs> <laughs> this is how growth hacking. Um, you know, you got to respect the hustle with respect to growth hacking. But we're gonna have a growth hack. We're gonna have a, co- a growth contest soon. Um, we want to get our name out there and we want to rely on our <laughs> listeners to do all the work for us. Um, <laughs> I'd like to reiterate our earlier in the episode <laughs> offer to please buy us out. Um, <laughs> we'll sell you 51% stake in Beats Riot Types LLC. Beats Riot Types now part of the Fox Media Corporation. <laughs> exactly. Rupert, hit me up. 